I thought I was going to go on to <laughs> Mark chapter 1 and verse 9, but I think we're going to sashay a little bit here. Thanks to Ken. <laughs> it was his, it's his fault. Well, uh, after uh, the service uh, last week, he reminded me that in verse 8 of, of Mark chapter 1, where it says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, in the first eight verses, we were talking about the preparatory ministry of John the Baptist, preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, <coughs> excuse me, John is out in the wilderness baptizing and he's baptizing those who have been repenting of their sins. Not baptizing first, but they came out repenting of their sins, and then he would baptize them, marking that as a confirmation that there was to be a change of life taking place. We saw from Luke's gospel that he identified several classes of people that came And they asked John, upon their baptism, well, now that we've repented of our sins, now that we've been baptized, what shall we do? And he told them specifically things they should do. Stop taking money more than what's necessary, you tax collectors, and you, you soldiers, stop intimidating the people and abusing them and so on. And, um, you know, things that were... Seems like to you and I would be very obvious changes that we need to make. And of course, the point of the whole thing is, is that for you and I, when we have received the Lord Jesus Christ and we have been baptized, that's a marker for us. It's a place and time that we need to say, hey, I need to have a change of life. When we're baptized, We stopped doing the things we were doing. So consequently, like Paul said, uh, you don't lie anymore. Stop your cheating. Stop your adultery. Stop your fornication. You don't do those things. As a matter of fact, if you don't stop those things, you will never have an abundant entrance into the Lord's coming kingdom when he returns. It's not possible. You cannot enter into his kingdom with sin. I just, as a matter of fact, I, I started my study in verse 9, Ken, and I was going on until that, and somehow I got backed into that. I don't remember how it happened, but I thought, oh man, I, I just, I've got to go deal with this here. But I began searching in the Old Testament about the word righteousness. Because you remember, I don't want to get too far ahead because I'm trying not to go there. But you remember when Jesus came to John to be baptized of him, he said, we need to do this, John. John said, wait a minute, I need to be baptized by you. This is a baptism for repentance and the remission of sins. I'm the one that needs this baptism, not you. But Jesus said... We do this to fulfill all righteousness. 
What does that righteousness refer to? Well, it has to do with the righteousness that is the coming kingdom of God in the millennium is concerned with. And it's to fulfill that in preparation for and readiness for the coming of that kingdom. So when the king comes, his kingdom, his administrative rule over the earth as he governs it will be characterized by primarily first righteousness. And he will administer that through his co-rulers as they rule upon the earth. So one has five cities, another has ten. And, you know, I never really, I don't know why I never really thought of it like this, but, you know, if you got, say, five cities or ten cities, they're not going to be scattered around around the world. It's going to be something like, you know, you had um, um, the Roman Caesar who was on his throne over in Rome, and then throughout various parts of, of the Roman kingdom, there were governors or rulers over various sections. And, of course, there would be cities over those realms. And they would have the authority to administer justice and hopefully righteously in those particular areas. And so that's what's coming down the way in the Lord's kingdom. That's why... We can't have sin in our lives if we want to share in that coming rule and be participants with him and serving him there. Well, I came to say that to back up now to verse 8. As he was baptizing, then he stated this in verse 8. I indeed baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look back at the old 1611 King James, the word holy was not baptized, was not baptized, was not capitalized, only the word spirit. But if you look at the King James, and I looked it up, several different translations, and you know everybody nowadays, they all capitalize it. Holy and spirit, both. Well, E.W. Bullinger has written a little book, it's a little thing, not very big, but it's about the Holy Spirit. It's called The Giver and His Gifts. And Ken was reminding me about this, that this phrase here says, Numa Hagion with no articles. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit, and it does not say the Spirit, the Holy just like you have outer darkness, it says the darkness, the outer. You have a double article there. It's not here. Now, it's, it's in other places, the spirit, the holy, but not here. It's just pneumahagion. So, I said, thank you, Ken. Now I got to go back and check this out and see, what is this all about? Why is it this way? What was John trying to tell us about this baptism uh, of Jesus when he said he would baptize you in spirit holy, if you just want to render it literally? Well, um, 
Turn to, uh, yeah, turn to the right. Got to go over to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Okay. Now we did a little bit of study along this line with Brother Mike Levan one time on a Wednesday night. And we, we was probably wouldn't have been good for us to go a little deeper, but uh, we little pick up a lot of things here uh, about uh, the article and the, the Holy Spirit. But in this passage here, in Luke, in, in Luke 24 and verse 49, um, he says there, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, a couple of things we can notice about this, this verse here. Of course, he's speaking to his disciples. It's post-resurrection now. And he's telling them to remain there until they be endued or clothed with power from on high. Now, that word endued, it just means clothed or enrobed with power. The word power there is a, that familiar word we know a little something about. It's dunamis. And it is the word where we get our English word dynamite. But just forget it, okay? Just forget that. Because unless you think of it this way, dunamis is the idea of inherent power. So in other words, it's not talking about the stick of dynamite that's been exploded already. It's talking about the stick of dynamite that's laying there that has the power in it. And that's the way you need to think about this word. It is latent. It is inherent within the word. It's in that stick. If we want to use, can keep using that illustration. So what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean when Scripture uses that word? Because it uses it a whole bunch of times. It's talking about the kind of power that is inherent within us or the Lord Jesus Christ or whoever the the subject is and whatever the context may be. And he's talking about well, let me, let me, it's, it's just, in other words, it's, it's what's in or inherent, the strength, the ability, the, 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 the you know, it's just like sometimes in the New Testament, it's just tra- translated can. I can do it. I have the ability. I have the power. I have it within me. I can do that. It's like if we said, I can do that. Right, Mom? Inside family joke, sorry. Um, All right. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Remember that phrase, the promise of my father 
and endued with power from on high. Okay? Acts chapter 1. And beginning in verse 4. Now remember, he says, remain in Jerusalem. In verse 3, he says, um, he was seen of them 40 days. So we know how long he was uh, following the resurrection. It was before this, this scene took place. And he says in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father was what? To be clothed with power from on high. I know that we think Frequently, as we read this, that it's the promise of the person of the Holy Spirit that he's speaking of here. But the promise was to be clothed with power from on high. Now, if you continue reading this, he says, Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. By the way, to make the connection even tighter and closer, This came from Luke's gospel. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. You see the immediate connection. Verse 5. For John truly baptized with water. Notice the contrast that he's about to make. But you shall be baptized with Not an article there. It's not the Holy Spirit, the person, but with pneuma hagion. So what is he trying to tell us? It's the same phrase that we have back in Mark chapter 1 and verse 8. Well, he tells us in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. Power. Power from on It is the same kind of reference, I think, that is made later on concerning the Spirit of Jesus. It's that Spirit that goes with the one who is seeking his kingdom. So in other words... You shall be baptized with pneumahagion. You shall be baptized with power from on high, not many days from now. Well, what did happen? Well, what did happen was the Holy Spirit did come. But I want us to look at chapter 2. And I may have gotten ahead of myself here. Let's see. Um... Oh, here it is. I missed one. <laughs> I was telling that. I was you trying to put Nugahagi on in 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 you know in your notes here, and you got these crazy self-correcting things, and it kept wanting to correct it to Haggies. H-A-G-G-I-S. Haggies is a Scottish food. So they, they take 
the belly of a, of a sheep and they take the kidney and the heart and the tongue and all that kind of stuff and they grind it up and make this mixture, put it in the belly of the sheep and then they bake it and that's a Scottish delicacy. So I knew what it was. I've read about it many times, but I couldn't get that thing to stop doing it. And I see here, I let one slip through. All right, so much for that. The phrase, man, here. So all we're doing is trying to make the connection between what Luke tells us the promise of the Father is, power from on high, when that actual promise comes over here in the book of Acts, we find it's baptized with the pneuma hagion. And this is the fulfillment of it. And as a matter of fact, then as you move over into Acts chapter 2, in verse 4, it says, and they were all filled with pneuma hagion, with power from on high. What we're looking at here, as Bullinger expresses it, is the difference between the Holy Spirit as the giver and the Holy Spirit's gifts. The giver and his gifts. Matter of fact, that's the title of his book, The Giver and His Gifts. So you're looking at this as power that came upon that group of 120 that sat there in that room, upper room, waiting for the promise of the Father. Just like Jesus had told them to do. Back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, John told us that I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one coming after me who is going to baptize you with power from on high, with pneumahagion. The spirit with spirit holy. It's a, such a temptation to want to put an article in there because us English speakers can't, we just can't hardly get away from it. What's the whole point of this though? In the beginning of this gospel in Mark, he's trying to teach us and tell us that this, this very event of this one coming following upon this water baptism would come an endowment of power. For what? I mean, it means ability. It means strength residing inherent within us, believers in Jesus. What is that strength or that ability to be used for? What can be done with it? And what kind of power is it? Well, this is where we're going to have to do some work. And by the way, when, when you, uh, <coughs> if you continue on in Luke chapter 2, when the folks began from, that were dwelling in Jerusalem in verse 5 and so on, it says they all began to speak in tongues and so on. And, 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 and uh, you know, Peter got up and said in verse 16, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit, 
Now, he doesn't say, I will pour out the Holy Spirit. He says, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions and so on. Verse 18, on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So Peter was backing this up by quoting to them from Joel chapter 2 exactly what was taking place. And the evidence of their ability to speak in these tongues or these various languages came from this power that God had just given them and that he had poured out upon them in testimony of what the Lord Jesus Christ had done through his death and his burial and resurrection. Coming from the grave, alive, in power. Now, Get ready, because we're going to look up a few verses. What did this power do? What did it enable anyone to do? Well, first off, let's just go back through the Gospels a little bit and look at some of those, but then we'll move over into the epistles and check a few of those to see what this power could do, what it was for. In Matthew chapter 7, and of course we can look at it on the negative side too, which is what we're going to do. In Matthew chapter 7, we're, of course, coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And notice what is occurring here. In verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of the heavens. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? The word wonders is our word dunamis. Done many powers, many strengths in your name. But you remember we said that that was strength that was inherent within the individual. And, of course, Jesus rejected their claim here, evidently having done these in the flesh, not in the strength of the Spirit, and so they were rejected. And he says, therefore, or excuse me, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I've always found it so fascinating that in Psalm 6, it's the very thing that David was saying regarding the wicked that were in his kingdom. He said, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And Jesus quotes that same, the same portion of that verse, or he draws from it and uses it concerning his own kingdom that's to come. That wickedness and lawlessness and sin will not be allowed in his kingdom. All right, move on. Chapter 11 Matthew chapter 11 and verses 20, beginning in verse 21 through verse 23. And by the way, we could even begin in verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works 
his works of power had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works, same word again, which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted in heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Now, that's a very frequent and common phrase, this, these mighty works or mighty wonders that were done, both by Jesus and his disciples. Now, having said all that, turn over to chapter 25 and verse 15. I'm not going to give you every single one of these or we'd be here for a long, long time because there's a lot of these verses that deal with this very, very topic. In chapter 25... Remember the parable of the talents? And you'll notice in verse 15, And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. Well, you remember we said that's one of the things. Ability. What you can do. This is the basis upon which the Lord uh, uh, of those servants distributed his talents to them. So one had the ability to handle five talents. Another one had the power to handle two. And the other one had a power, he had the power to handle one. It's just the problem was he didn't do it. And it cost him dearly. And he was cast out. Well, let's see. I got a lot to go. Better get moving here. Um, Mark chapter 6, verse 5. Here in, in Mark's own gospel, chapter 6 and verse 5. It tells us there that he could do no mighty work there. Well, that was in that was in his own country. A prophet's not without honor in his own country. So he could do no mighty works, works of power there. What's my point? Is that in the Gospels, Jesus had that power within himself given by the Father to perform these works and to do them. If we look over, let's just move on from there. We'll go, I'm going to skip uh, Luke. We'll go to Acts chapter 4. I want to move ahead. Acts chapter 4, because I want us to see some of the other ways in which this whole idea of power that believers can have is mentioned in the, in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33 Notice the power of the apostles here. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Here we have power in preaching, power in proclaiming as they witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. Am I going too fast? Do I need to slow down for anybody? Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. I like this one. Verses 4 and 5 actually together. Where Paul says, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's power for preaching again or speaking, demonstrating the power of God. A preaching that will demonstrate the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of men. And so here we see this word power connected with those who are gifted with wisdom to be able to express the, 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 the treasures of God's word and expound upon them so that men might understand. And then if you follow on to um, chapter 2, verse 4, 2 Corinthians, well, excuse me, yeah, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Here where he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I think a lot of us know that that's literally jars of clay. When we have this. Yeah, verse 7. Yeah, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, that the excellence of the power may be of God, and not of us. So this power that we have within us is not ours by nature. It is power that is in us because it has been put there, baptized with. We've been baptized with it, Mark tells us in chapter 1 and verse 8. Baptized with that power, with pneuma hagion. It doesn't do us very, we don't do God any favors when we say, I could never do what you're doing. I could never preach. I could never sing. I couldn't stand up in front of a crowd and say anything or give a testimony even. Or, You know, God has gifted each one of us with power for certain things. It might be ministering. You remember all the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament that he's gifted believers with? We are gifted, empowered to minister with those things. And that's what John was in his whole preface to his whole gospel in the gospel of Mark was telling us that I'm I'm baptizing you with water and you have come repenting of your sins, and I'm marking that repentance with baptism, and you've asked me now, 
Mark, John, what should we do? How, what, do we, what do we do now? And he said, you know, stop this, stop this, and don't do these things anymore. And then he says, but there's one coming after me who's going to empower you from on high. Empower you for godly living, for holiness, for preaching and teaching. And we find in even other places for healing. For, quite frankly, just for exercising all the gifts of the Spirit. So we have been empowered. We are capable of doing these things because the Son of God has given us that power to do it. He tells us, baptized us with that power. Endued with power from on high, the promise of of the Father. I want to look at it, maybe a couple other verses. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. Notice again, in this, we have a prayer. And we've, we've talked about these topics frequently about how we should be praying. We have a tendency so much just to pray for people's needs and, you know, that this illness, that illness, that surgery, you know, this thing coming up, car broke down, all those kinds of things. Paul's prayer didn't include any of those things. But what he did pray in verse 10 was that you, might, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Strengthened with all might, with all ability. For what? For living out our Christian life. For walking in the power of his spirit for walking in a manner that is well-pleasing unto him, for walking in a manner that in the day of Christ, when he comes to judge his saints, we can hear an approval from him. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that we can be approved of him to have that glorious, wonderful, abundant, and rich welcome into his kingdom that Second Peter tells us about. I want to be there for that. I want to tell you, I want my welcome to be a wonderful one. I want it to be abundant. I desire that above everything else that I strive for in life. I want at the end of my life for the Lord to say, you know, I don't like to say it this way, but you know, he did a good job. Can you imagine Jesus patting you on the back and said, you did a good job. Now, I know that's not holy language there. That's not Bible language. That's me. But that's how we can think of it. That's what we relate to. We pat our kids on the back. We pat our students in school on the back. Say, you did a good job. Appreciate that. Matter of fact, I don't know if you have a card being passed around, but we're going to send a card to our guy that mows the yard around here. It's a card of appreciation. 
says, thank you. Appreciate it. You do a really good job. And he does. And I've commended him for it. I've stopped him out here and told him, you know, I won't go there. I ain't got time for that. Second Timothy chapter one. This is just the finer points of mowing that I'm getting to. We don't need to talk about that. So, you know, that's craziness. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I love this one too. You know this verse. For God has not given us a spirit of what? Out of fear, but of power. He didn't baptize us with a spirit of fear, but he baptized us with a power, power from on high, and of love and of a sound mind. Well, let's see. I better, I'm coming to the end. I better skip over a couple verses here, and let's try 2 Peter chapter 1. And verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Now, as we read this letter, he opens up, you know, it's Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Here Peter's telling us where that power came from. It's divine power. Remember in John chapter 17, you know, he teaches us there, the Lord Jesus does, is that, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And I am in you, and you are in me. Do you see that holy connection between us and the Father? It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father's in the Son, the Son's in the Father, the Son's in us, and we are in the Son. That ability, that dunamis, that power to live this Christian life in such a way that God is well pleased with us, it's a doable thing. We don't have to wonder about why can't I get victory over my sin? Why can't I walk in a manner that's pleasing to God? Why can't I, why can't, and start questioning and doubting and wondering all the time, why is it this way? When he has openly declared at the very beginning of his gospel ministry, Mark says, he's going to baptize you and endue you with power from on high. It's there. You don't have to walk around the church five times to get it. You don't have to give $10,000 to the church to give it. You don't have to do penance, you know, to get that power. 
It's what freely comes to those who wait for it. Just like he told the disciples to wait in that upper room and I will endue you with power from on high. Why was he going to do that? Because it was the promise of the Father. Did you know that if you go all the way back, and I'm out of time, so I can't go do it now. If you go all the way back, we looked at, we looked at um, Joel already, but if you went back to the, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah promises the same thing. He will, he will pour out his spirit in these latter days. And we need to be careful that we learn to walk in the power of that spirit. Um, okay. I was, um, I'm out. I can't, I have to quit. Okay. I really would like to say something else more, but I can't do that. Time's up. I hope you understand. I hope it was clear that what Mark and his gospel was teaching us through recording for us in those concise and tight and terse statements about his preparatory ministry in preparing for the coming of the Lord Jesus that what John was doing was saying, you need to get your heart right. You need to be repenting of your sins. And when you get baptized, you need to be careful that your baptism is an identification with this message of the coming one, as he stated it there in verse 7. And that I'm going to be an out-and-out disciple of his. And I am going to live for him. I am going to believe in him. And when he promises me that he is coming back and he is going to establish his kingdom over this earth and he wants us to share in his coming rule, that he is empowering us to be able to do it. I've told you and shared with you on many occasions The day I was sitting at my table there in our kitchen, had books spread out all over the place and just starting away and all of a sudden, bam, it hit me. I have no excuses. This is something I can do and I can do it. But so can you. If you want it, If you want, what's what's the uh, insurance company? A piece of the rock? If you want to share the rock, if you want to share in the rock's coming kingdom rule, you can do it. And it can be ours. But it demands a changed life. A newness of conduct, Language, purpose, holiness, doing, just read the epistles, read John, you know, read Paul, all the things Paul says, don't do this and do this. Stop cheating and lying and stealing and do this, you know, be gracious and kind and loving and peaceful 
and long-suffering. Do all those things. Or like Micah said it back in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Oh, man. Okay, I'll quit after this one, I promise. I will. Um, Micah, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah. Okay, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah. I have to do this every time. Jonah, Micah. I forgot you want to leave out Jonah too. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? To do what's right is what he's saying. That's, and then to love mercy. Now, I had to learn that one from my wife. <laughs> She's always been merciful. I wasn't always so merciful. And to walk humbly with your God. Do you think you can do that? Do you think you can really do that? Well, of course you can. Because he has empowered you from on high to do it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the ministry of your spirit. We pray, Father, that you would bless us and help us to know that you have not left us alone, that we have the ability... We have the power and the strength, the capability to do what you've called us to do as followers of Christ. Father, we are owned by you. Slaves of God and slaves of Jesus Christ. We don't belong to any other and we don't belong to this world. And so I pray, Father, that as we contemplate those things, that you would help us to be totally committed to our Savior and to the things that you desire of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.